Section eleven of a Romance of Two Worlds by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seven, part two. Zara and Prince Ivan. Zara looked somewhat vexed, but the shade of annoyance flitted away from her face like a passing shadow as she replied quietly. "'Tell Monsieur le Comte, my brother, that I shall be happy to receive Prince Ivan.' The page bowed deferentially and departed. Zara turned round, and I saw the jewel on her breast flashing with a steely glitter like the blade of a sharp sword. "'I do not like Prince Ivan myself,' she said. "'But he is a singularly brave and resolute man, and Casimir has some reason for admitting him to our companionship.' though I greatly doubt if. Here a flood of music broke upon our ears like the sound of a distant orchestra. Zara looked at me and smiled. "'Dinner is ready,' she announced. "'But you must not imagine that we keep a band to play us to our table in triumph. It is simply a musical instrument worked by electricity that imitates the orchestra. Both Casimir and I prefer it to a gong.' and slipping her arm affectionately through mine, she drew me from the studio into the passage, and together we went down the staircase into a large dining-room, rich with oil paintings and carved oak, where Heliobus awaited us. Close by him stood another gentleman, who was introduced to me as Prince Ivan Petrovsky. He was a fine-looking, handsome-featured young man, of about thirty, tall and broad-shouldered, though beside the commanding stature of Heliobus, his figure did not show to so much advantage as it might have done beside a less imposing contrast. He bowed to me with easy and courteous grace, but his deeply reverential salute to Zara had something in it of that humility which a slave might render to a queen. She bent her head slightly in answer, and still holding me by the hand, moved to her seat at the bottom of the table, while her brother took the head. My seat was at the right hand of Heliobus, Prince Ivan's at the left, so that we directly faced each other. There were two men-servants in attendance, dressed in dark livery, who waited upon us with noiseless alacrity. The dinner was exceedingly choice. There was nothing coarse or vulgar in the dishes, no great heavy joints swimming in thin gravy, a la Anglaise, no tureens of unpalatable sauce, no clumsy decanters filled with burning sherry or drowsy port. The table itself was laid out in the most perfect taste, with the finest Venetian glass and old Dresden ware, in which tempting fruits gleamed amid clusters of glossy dark leaves. Flowers in tall vases bloomed wherever they could be placed effectively, and in the centre of the board a small fountain played, tinkling as it rose and fell like a very faintly echoing fairy chime. The wines that were served to us were most delicious, though their flavor was quite unknown to me. One in especial, of a pale pink color, that sparkled slightly as it was poured into my glass, seemed to me a kind of nectar of the gods, so soft it was to the palate. The conversation at first, somewhat desultory, grew more concentrated as the time went on, though Sarah spoke little and seemed absorbed in her own thoughts more than once. The prince warmed with the wine and the general good cheer, became witty and amusing in his conversation. He was a man who had evidently seen a good deal of the world, and who was accustomed to take everything in life a la bagatelle. He told us gay stories of his life in St. Petersburg, 
of the pranks he played in the florentine carnival of his journey to the american states and his narrow escape from the matrimonial clutches of a boston heiress heliobas listened to him with a sort of indulgent kindness only smiling now and then at the preposterous puns the young man would insist on making at every opportunity that presented itself you are a lucky fellow ivan he said at last you like the good things of life and you have got them all without any trouble on your own part you are one of those men who have absolutely nothing to wish for prince ivan frowned and pulled his dark moustache with no very satisfied air i am not so sure about that he returned no one is contented in this world i believe there is always something left to desire and the last thing longed for always seems to be the most necessary to happiness the truest philosophy said heliobas is not to long for anything in particular but to accept everything as it comes and find out the reason of its coming what do you mean by the reason of its coming questioned prince ivan do you know casimir i find you sometimes as puzzling as socrates 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 was as clear as a drop of morning dew my dear fellow replied heliobas there was nothing puzzling about him his remarks were all true and trenchant hitting smartly home to the heart like daggers plunged down to the hilt that was the worst of him he was too clear too honest too disdainful of opinions society does not love such men what do i mean you ask by accepting everything as it comes and trying to find out the reason of its coming why i mean what i say each circumstance that happens to each one of us brings its own special lesson and meaning forms a link or part of a link in the chain of our existence it seems nothing to you that you walk down a particular street at a particular hour and yet that slight action of yours may lead to a result you wot not of except the hint of each new experience says the american imitator of plato emerson if this advice is faithfully followed we all have enough to occupy us busily from the cradle to the grave prince ivan looked at zara who sat quite thoughtful only lifting her bright eyes now and then to glance at her brother as he spoke i tell you he said with sudden moroseness there are some hints that we cannot accept some circumstances that we must not yield to why should a man for instance be subjected to an undeserved and bitter disappointment because said zara joining in the conversation for the first time he has most likely desired what he is not fated to obtain the prince bit his lips and gave a forced laugh i know madam you are against me in all your arguments he observed with some bitterness in his tone as casimir suggests i am a bad philosopher i do not pretend to be more than the ordinary attributes of an ordinary man it is fortunate if i may be permitted to say so that the rest of the world's inhabitants are very like me for if every one reached to the sublime heights of science and knowledge that you and your brother have attained the course of human destiny would run out and paradise would be an established fact laughed heliobas come ivan you are a true epicurean have some wine and a truce to discussions for the present and beckoning to one of the servants he ordered the prince's glass to be refilled dessert was now served and luscious fruits in profusion including peaches bananas plantains green figs melons pineapples and magnificent grapes were offered for our choice as i made a selection for my own plate 
I became aware of something soft rubbing itself gently against my dress, and looking down I saw the noble head and dark intelligent eyes of my old acquaintance, Leo, whom I had last met at Cannes. I gave an exclamation of pleasure, and the dog, encouraged, stood up and laid a caressing paw on my arm. "'You know Leo, of course,' said Heliobas, turning to me. "'He went to see Raffaello while you were at Cannes. He is a wonderful animal, more valuable to me than his weight in gold.' Prince Ivan, whose transient moodiness had passed away like a bad devil exercised by the power of good wine, joined heartily in the praise bestowed on this four-footed friend of the family. "'It was really through Leo,' he said, "'that you were induced to follow out your experiments in human electricity. Casimir, was it not?' "'Yes,' replied Heliobus, calling the dog, who went to him immediately to be fondled. "'I should never have been much encouraged in my researches, had he not been at hand. I feared to experimentalize much on my sister,' she being young at the time, and women are always frail of construction, but Leo was willing and ready to be a victim to science, if necessary. Instead of a martyr, he is a living triumph. Are you not, old boy? He continued, stroking the silky coat of the animal, who responded with a short low bark of satisfaction. My curiosity was much excited by these remarks, and I said eagerly, Will you tell me in what way Leo has been useful to you? I have a great affection for dogs, and I never tire of hearing stories of their wonderful intelligence. I will certainly tell you, said Heliobus. To some people the story might appear improbable, but it is perfectly true, and at the same time simple of comprehension. When I was a very young man, younger than Prince Ivan, I absorbed myself in the study of electricity, its wonderful powers, and its various capabilities. From the consideration of electricity and the different forms by which it is known to civilized Europe, I began to look back through history to what are ignorantly called the Dark Ages, but which might more justly be termed the enlightened youth of the world. I found that the force of electricity was well understood by the ancients, better understood by them, in fact, than it is by the scientists of our day. The many, many tekel upharsen that glittered in unearthly characters on the wall at belshazzar's feast was written by electricity and the chaldean kings and priests understood a great many secrets of another form of electric force which the world today scoffs at and almost ignores i mean human electricity which we all possess but which we do not all cultivate within us when once i realized the existence of the fact of human electric force I applied the discovery to myself and spared no pains to foster and educate whatever germ of this power lay within me. I succeeded with more ease and celerity than I had imagined possible. At the time I pursued these studies, Leo here was quite a young dog, full of the clumsy playfulness and untrained ignorance of a Newfoundland puppy. One day I was very busy reading an interesting Sanskrit scroll which treated of ancient medicines and remedies, and Leo was gambling in his awkward way about the room, playing with an old slipper, and wearing it with his teeth. The noise he made irritated and disturbed me, and I rose in my chair and called him by name, somewhat angrily. He paused in his game and looked up. His eyes met mine exactly. His head drooped. He shivered uneasily, whined, and lay down motionless. He never stirred once from the position he had taken, 
till I gave him permission. And remember, he was untrained. This strange behavior led me to try other experiments with him, and all succeeded. I gradually led him up to the point I desired. That is, I forced him to receive my thought and act upon it, as far as his canine capabilities could do, and he has never once failed. It is sufficient for me to strongly will him to do a certain thing, and I can convey that command of mine to his brain without uttering a single word, and he will obey me. I suppose I showed surprise and incredulity in my face, for Heliobas smiled at me and continued, I will put him to the proof at any time you like, if you wish him to fetch anything that he is physically able to carry, and will write the name of whatever it is on a slip of paper, just for me to know what you require, I guarantee Leo's obedience. I looked at Zara, and she laughed. It seems like magic to you, does it not? she said. But I assure you it is quite true. I am bound to admit, said Prince Ivan, that I once doubted both Leo and his master, but I am quite converted. Here, mademoiselle. He continued handing me a leaf from his pocket-book and a pencil. Write down something that you want. Only don't send the dog to Italy on an errand just now, as we want him back before we adjourn to the drawing-room. I remember that I had left an embroidered handkerchief on the couch in Zara's room, and I wrote this down on the paper, which I passed to Heliobus. He glanced at it and tore it up. Leo was indulging himself with a bone under the table, but came instantly to his master's call. Heliobus took the dog's head between his two hands and gazed steadily into the grave brown eyes that regarded him with equal steadiness. This interchange of looks lasted but a few seconds. Leo left the room, walking with an unruffled and dignified pace, while we awaited his return. Heliobus and Zara with indifference, Prince Ivan with amusement, and I with interest and expectancy. Two or three minutes elapsed, and the dog returned with the same majestic demeanor, carrying between his teeth my handkerchief. He came straight to me and placed it in my hand, shook himself, wagged his tail, and conveying a perfectly human expression of satisfaction into his face, went under the table again to his bone. I was utterly amazed, but at the same time convinced. I had not seen the dog since my arrival in Paris, and it was impossible for him to have known where to find my handkerchief, or to recognize it as being mine unless through the means Heliobus had explained. End of section 11